Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris. And David, we wish your Camaro the very best. It's been sick. And so we'll talk about that later in the show. We're coming to you today from our famous Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here in Portland. Um, our friend Meathead is uh, coming back with us today. Meathead, of course, is the proprietor of AmazingRibs.com. And we're going to be talking about uh, summer grilling, maybe a little vegetable stuff in there, too. And we've going to be taking some questions that listeners have sent in to me, which is always fun. So we got that, and we've also got Aretha Franklin for some tunes today. And we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. You can check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Meathead, my old friend, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. But I'm, I'm sad to hear about Dave's Camaro. Now, you said later, but I, I won't be here later. Uh, <laughs> is, is it? What do you do, wrap it around a tree or something? No, he's had, uh, he's had a... Uh, what was that old kid's thing, Lemony Snicket, a series of unfortunate events? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of like that. But he had, oh. I guess he had some serious engine problems. He's had oh, a, dear. He hit a deer this year. He's, oh, for crying out loud. He's had lots of Do they still make Camaros? Yeah, I think so. His, I don't know. His looks pretty sharp. It was the muscle car of my high school days. I had a, I had a Mustang. Yeah. I had a 68 Mustang. And uh, one of my buddies had a, uh, a '68 Camaro, and uh, that was, uh, you know, there was a, a lot of jawing over those. Two. <laughs> well, how are things going at Amazing Ribs? Before we jump into this, we're doing good. Uh, we're uh, coming down the home stretch of getting our new line of rubs and sauces on the market. Hopefully, they'll be out sometime in August. But don't go looking for them in the stores because it'll probably take months to get distributed through the uh, channels and primarily starting out hardware stores. But sure. uh, hopefully by spring we'll have uh, meatheads, rubs, and sauces in uh, uh, better stores around the country. They're pretty darn good, if I say so myself. And it's been, uh, we started work on this project in November, and uh, so it's been a, a long, rough road, but we're pretty excited about them. And uh, I'm still grinding away on a new book, and... Uh, I think you might have heard that I got a, uh, inducted into the Barbecue yep. Hall of Fame this year, so that's been uh, that's been a real uh, fun ride. I mean, there's only 25 living members of the Hall of Fame, so it's it's quite an honor, and uh, uh, there've been a lot of uh, a lot of media surrounding that. Meathead and I both have allergies here, so I'm going to frame it that way and say so. If you hear us. You know, sniffling or clearing our throats. It's nothing personal, folks. It's just the weather. So we'll. Yeah, I think we're allergic to each other. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, even though we're, you know, <laughs> 1,700 miles apart or whatever it is. Um, 
We've got summer here now, and we're kind of in full bloom. And last year at this time, of course, we were all in, in kind of lockdown mode, depending on where you lived. Yeah, uh, but yeah. the vegetables are coming on. Um, I wanted to touch on that first at the show, because then we'll get into the questions the rest of the show. But you, there's great vegetables now coming on out there. Uh, we've talked about corn in the past and doing, oh yeah, doing all kinds of fun things. But one thing I like to do, and I know you've talked about your, you know, your cherry tomato or your grape tomato, and kind of turn them yeah. into tomato raisins and that. What else do you think you can do with tomatoes on the grill? Well, I make tomato sauce. Um, uh, you can take a, a Roma tomato or just a beefsteak, any old slicing tomato, cut it in half so that there's an exposed side. Uh, make sure your grill grates are really clean and uh, grill them over medium temperature, not too hot. Uh, get some grill marks, get a little char on them. Uh, if you want to throw some wood on the fire, get a little smokiness, that's a good idea. And then flip it over and uh, cook the skin side. And, uh, that's important. Uh, you're not going to keep those skins. Once you hit it with some high heat, so it makes it easy to peel the skins off. Mm -hmm. And then they go in the blender. And uh, they go in the blender with, uh, you know, some uh, oregano and some uh, whatever you want to throw, salt. That, uh, you, 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 you essentially make it into a tomato sauce. Um, and once you've made a great tomato sauce, I mean, you can use it on pasta. One of my favorite things is is eggplant parmesan on the grill. Mm -hmm. um, oh, my. Everybody likes eggplant parmesan, but eggplants are a sponge. They just soak up a ton of oil. And the way eggplant parmesan is typically made is it's uh, sautéed or fried in oil, and it just soaks up a ton of oil. Um, with my technique... And by the way, the recipe is on AmazingRibs.com in case somebody is uh, interested in trying this. But you just season it with some salt, lightly brush it with oil, just lightly, throw it on the grill, get um, the uh, eggplant soft, um, and then you take this grilled uh, tomato sauce. First, oh, excuse me, I forgot. First, you lay down a, uh, a layer of Parmesan cheese, or you can throw some mozz or some... Um, uh, some uh, great uh, goat cheese, sure. Um, but Parmesan, of course, is your classic. And then the eggplant on top, another layer of Parmesan on top of that, or a layer of uh, mozzarella on top of that, and back on the grill until it melts. And uh, you've got a marvelous all vegetarian meal. You know, I am meathead, but the fact <laughs> is, is come August. I can easily be vegetarian. Um, well, it's I'm in the uh, in, in the Chicago suburbs, and it's it, you know the soil is so black. If you spit, another human being will grow, and it's just fantastic. My wife is a master gardener, which is actually a degree you can get from the uh, Extension, the University of Illinois, and uh, um, she has got this huge garden which she lets me weed. That's about <laughs> all I'm allowed to do. And uh, right now the eggplants are coming in, and eggplant parmesan on the grill is just totally awesome. The recipe is on AmazingRibs.com. But basically, instead of frying the eggplant, which is just a sponge, it just soaks up a ton of oil, you just give it a light coat of oil, a sprinkle of salt, you grill it until it's soft, and then you grill tomatoes, um, and you make tomato sauce out of them. And then you pour the tomato sauce on top of the eggplant, just dolloping on there nice and thick. And then you layer on a layer of grated Parmesan 
and then some maybe some mozzarella on top of that. Um, and boy, that is one fantastic vegetarian dish. Come August, I am veghead. I love it. That would be great with a Caesar salad with some prosciutto in it, just so I wasn't totally, uh-huh. totally wasn't. Yeah, a little of meat in there. Yeah. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, you could probably drape a little prosciutto on the eggplant parmesan. Sure. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be vegetarian, but it is. It's very good, and especially if you've got a friend coming over who doesn't eat meat. Um, eggplant is kind of meaty anyhow, you know? Right. Um, and if you want, you can grill up some uh, uh, some mushrooms and, and add that to the mix. But um, it, it really is delightful. And if you do it right, you cut the eggplant in rounds or planks, um, it looks very attractive. Uh, I have a little video of it as well as uh, – some pictures on AmazingRibs.com. Oh, that that sounds really, really, really good. Um, little uh, little off-topic footnote here. When I go shopping, and there's a couple of, I shop at a lot of different stores, but there's one that has really good prosciutto. I will buy, mm. I will buy, you know, half a pound of it or something, and it's sli- mm-hmm. sliced very thin. It doesn't make... a month's salary right there. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make it home, <laughs> I'm afraid. I'll eat, eat it on the uh-huh. way. <laughs> I, just, uh-huh. I just love that stuff. Okay, we've got... Yeah, to- that, and that reminds me. I mean, you got to have a baguette. Um, what we'll do is we'll take a, a baguette and slice it lengthwise, so mm-hmm. it's like a, two big canoes, and, and paint it with some olive oil, give it a couple of sprinkles of... Uh, uh, onion powder and maybe a little Parmesan, I mean, um, um, paprika to give it some color or some smoked paprika yep. and then just grill that. And now when you eat your eggplant, you just plop it on a little bit of that, uh, grilled, uh, uh, toast and oh boy, that's an eggplant sandwich. That's really fantastic. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, we've got about, uh, three minutes here before we got to go to break. So, uh, this is good. This is from Rick in Northern California. <clears throat> Listens to our station down there in Eureka. You've said before on this show that you use briquettes in your Kamado style cooker instead of lump. Other guests on the show have said uh, you should never use briquettes in a Kamado. Which one is it? Well, it depends on the Kamado. Um, the big green egg is designed so that if you're not careful, you can get a lot of it. You can stifle the airflow with ash mm-hmm. and the old-fashioned briquettes, Kingster blue bag briquettes, they have a, um, it, 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 the base, the core is is char, charcoal, right? And but it, it, they use binders to hold it together, and it makes more ash. Now, a lot of manufacturers, including Kingsford now, are making briquettes with much fewer binders. In fact, some of them have little or no binders, maybe just a little cornstarch. Um, to, to to bind it together, sure. and they make much less ash. But on a lot of the other brands of modern Kamados are designed so that they can handle the ash flow better. Um, the Big Green Egg was the innovator. They were the first of these Kamados, and um, uh, uh, they just haven't updated uh, the ash handling yet. Um, so, yeah, if you're using a Big Green Egg, use your lump charcoal or use briquettes that don't make as much ash. That is the all natural briquettes with little or no binders. Um, but I've talked about charcoal since we're running out of time in this segment, let's come back and I'll talk a little bit more about 
why I prefer briquettes in most cases. Absolutely. We can do that. Um, <clears throat> again, we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef for sponsoring this segment and being a supporter of this show for a long time. And also the folks over at Gunter Wilhelm Knives. Meatheads uses them. I use them. They're great. You can check them out online at GunterWilhelm.com. We will be back here in just a minute or so with uh, more with Meathead here on Barbecue Nation. More questions. And you never know what we're going to say. That's the fun part. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Looking out on the morning rain, I used to feel... Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. Uh, If you'd like to get a hold of us, all you got to do is go to Barbecue Nation. That's BBQNation.com. Well, it's BBQNationJT.com, actually. There's some other people out there that are using that same handle or close to it, and I know it gets a little confusing, but we'll get that sorted uh, in time. But uh, you can do that. And the other thing I need to tell you today is, uh, as soon as I can find it on my phone here, because I didn't bring the script with me um finding the perfect hire can feel like searching for a needle in a bottomless haystack of resumes indeed makes hiring fast and simple with 135 skills tests i don't think meathead and i can pass this anyway to help candidates prove that they actually have the experience your job requires their powerful hiring platform even helps you schedule and conduct video interviews right there on their site which is probably why Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. And that's according to Talent Nest. Now, to learn more about finding your next great hire, visit Indeed.com slash credit. Okay, that's done. Now, um, people can email me. I told them that. I'm not losing my place here. But you said when we come back, we were going to talk more about what? the Charcoal. Charcoal, yes. Right, right. The... The question we had beforehand was which to use in a Kamado, and I explained that the big green egg, because it uh, tends to collect ash, um, you want to go ahead and follow their instructions and use lump charcoal because it makes less ash, or you can use the new grade of briquettes that are have fewer binders. They're all natural, um, and uh, they, they make less ash. But the reason I'm a fan of briquettes in general um, is that each little brick is a unit of energy. Mm-hmm. And so a Weber charcoal chimney, which is what I use to start my charcoal fires, holds 80 briquettes precisely. Um, and so if I want half the temperature, I fill it up halfway, that's 40 briquettes precisely. So there is a control level using briquettes that you don't get with lump. Because when you open a bag of lump, you can find chunks in there the size of softballs and and chips in there the size of your fingernail. The other problem with lump is is often it doesn't get um, carbonized all the way through, which means in the center you have uh, raw wood, lignin and cellulose, and it smokes. And you don't know what kind of wood that is. You don't know what kind of smoke that is. It also snap, crackle, pops, and sparks. 
Um, so I prefer to get a, a hot glowing fire. I, I, I think charcoal is for heat and wood is for flavor. So I will use the wood that I want, not that I'm stuck with in the bag of a uh, lump. And I will use the amount that I want, not whatever happens to be uncarbonized in the bag. Also, there's an awful lot of powder in the bottom of that lump bag. And my readers have sent me pictures of stuff that they find in those lump bags <laughs> that include computer parts, nails, all kinds of you know um, uh, PVC pipe. So I am prefer, I prefer um, briquettes where I have total control over the heat and uh, I have total control over the smoke. Well, I agree, and I I have used lump charcoal on and off for different cooks over the years. I do prefer briquettes. To me, they're easier. Um, and just like you say, you know, I can control it better. Uh, the thing that, the thing, look, barbecue is kind of a messy business in its own right, in a way. But that dust and Which stuff. Which is why we love it. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, that dust in, in the bottom of the bags of the lump, if you're trying to, you know, get it out, get those last few pieces out and you're dumping it, pretty soon you're going to have a big cup of smattering of dust if you're not mm-hmm. careful. And if you haven't used it before, that's a little different. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I get that. But anyway, just be careful of all the little shards and and Yeah, and that'll stuff. clog up your Kamado just as bad as uh, ash will. Yes. Yes, it will. Okay, here's another question. This is from Chad at our station. Uh, Kixie in Seattle. I want to smoke a brisket for the first time, but I'm a little intimidated on trimming it. Watch some videos, you know, the money muscle, et cetera, et cetera. Any suggestions? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, money muscle is on the pork shoulder, not on a brisket. You have two muscles on the, um, uh, the brisket there. Uh, they're the pectoralis muscles or the pectoral muscles, and they, they lie on top of each other and, and slightly at an angle. Um, uh, lately, I have been separating those muscles. Now, that's not the way it is normally done, but there is a massive layer of fat in between them, and then on one side, there's a massive layer of fat on top of it. Now, if you're using something like a Weber kettle, or a, not a kettle, a Weber Smoky Mountain, or a Kamado, where there is concentrated heat coming from directly below, you want to leave some of that surface fat on um, because it acts like a heat shield. But if you leave all that fat on, some of it will melt off. But when you come to slice it, you're going to end up with a very thick layer of fat, and your guests are going to cut it off. And guess what? When they cut it off, there goes all the rub all your seasoning and all your flavoring. So I recommend you remove um, all the fat from the top, except maybe a quarter of an inch at the most, and that'll melt down to about an eighth of an inch. And most people will chew into an eighth of an inch of fat. Sure. Or you can remove it all. Now, if especially if you're using a pellet smoker or an offset smoker where you don't have concentrated heat coming from directly below. Uh, by the way, I have a fairly detailed article on brisket because brisket is Mount Everest. Brisket is probably the hardest piece of meat to cook um, and get it right. It's a very tough muscle. Steers don't have collarbones like we do. So all of the weight of the front end of the steer is borne 
by the pectoral muscles. That's the load-bearing muscle. And so they, they can be very tough. And to tenderize them takes very long, low and slow cooking temperatures. Now, I mentioned I've been separating muscles because there's also a layer of fat between them. It's very easy to separate them, by the way. You can just peel them apart with your hands or with a sharp uh, knife. You can slide it in between. And you can get that layer of fat out also. And when you separate them, then you can cook each muscle to its ideal temperature and time. And the flat muscle, the bottom one, the big one, is really even thickness. Um, and it, it, that's the stuff that makes great sandwich slices. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. More questions from you listeners for Meathead right after this. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Hey, welcome back to uh, Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening up and down the network on the Sun BGI. Uh, which is now called the G Network. So I would like, also like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef and Gunter Wilhelm Knives for supporting our show here. Uh, we're talking with Meathead today. Uh, questions from listeners from around the country. And as always, he's very kind to take the time to be with us on the show. Um, okay, Meathead, here's one. How much is too much seasoning on ribs? Is there a rule of thumb? This is from Sarah here in my hometown of Portland. Well, okay. Um, let's begin with um, the definition of seasoning. Um, if you've ever watched cooking uh, competitions on TV, the judges will often tell the com contestants that they haven't seasoned enough. Generally, they're referring to salt. And, but seasoning can cover a very broad range of flavors. So the thing about salt is, is salt, two little atoms, sodium and chloride, and when they get wet, they can penetrate deep into the meat. All the rest of the stuff in your rub, the garlic, the pepper, the sugar, uh, the onion powder, all of that stuff, the molecules are too large. The sugar is at least 23 atoms, depending on which sugar you're talking about. Um, and it just can't penetrate more than a tiny fraction of the surface. So salt will get all the way down towards the center and will alter the structure of the protein. And it helps it hold on to moisture. And it's absolutely crucial. And the rule of thumb for salt is one half a teaspoon of Morton's kosher salt per pound of meat. And I've standardized on Morton's kosher salt um, because it's pretty easy to pick up with your fingers and, and, and scatter it. But if you're using table salt, it's twice as potent as Morton's kosher salt. So it would be one quarter teaspoon of table salt per pound of meat. Now, the rest of the seasonings, um, you want to cover it, and you can cover it as thick as you want. I like to still see some meat through there. Um, and, it, you know, it's pretty hard to measure that. Um, but the same is true for any other cut of meat. You want to still see the meat through there. You don't want a solid layer of it uh, uh, that, that, that completely blocks the meat. Um, so you still want to see um, 
the meat through there. And then you've just got to do your own experiments and see how much is too much for your foot, for your taste. Some people like a lot of uh, rub on there. Some people don't. Now, that's if you're making your own rubs. And I have some really excellent rub recipes on AmazingRibs.com. And the competition teams use them. And they don't have any salt in them. So you can separate the salt from the other rub recipe ingredients. And that's the way it's done ideally. But all of those rubs you buy in the market, including the ones that we're going to bring on the market next month, contain salt. And that's because people don't understand that the salt and the other uh, right. ingredients behave differently. So we had to, had to put salt in there. If we didn't, it, we would be double the price of everything else because salt is much cheaper than all the other ingredients. And because you need it in there in, in case people don't know about salting separately. So if you buy a commercial rub on the market, it's got salt in there already. And if you can, you want to try to get that on um, a couple of hours in advance so that the salt can penetrate. The rest of the stuff, it doesn't matter when you put it on because it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting on the surface. That, very good. Now, I'm going to follow up with another rib question here. This is from Lyle up in Seattle, what's the best way to tell when your ribs are done or if your ribs are done? Excuse me. Yeah, they're really tough to tell with a thermometer. Man, I am the biggest advocate of thermometers. Nothing will make you a better cook than a good digital thermometer. Um, but um, it's really hard to get a good read on ribs because they're so thin. Um, and there's bones in there and the bones conduct heat differently than the meat. Um, so um, I, you start with a couple of rules of thumb. I cook uh, ribs at 225, and generally, baby backs take three to four hours, and it really depends on the thickness. Some, some butchers leave more meat on there, so they'll take longer than others. Um, uh, spare ribs or St. Louis cut, which is a subsection of the spare ribs, um, take five to six hours. Uh, again, it depends on how much meat is left on there. Sure. Uh, but after uh, uh, three hours for baby backs or five hours for uh, spares, um, you, you can start doing what I call the bend test. Um, and you grab the meat with a pair of tongs in the center, and you pick them up, and you kind of bounce them. And if, you, if they start to crack on the surface, and you can see the interior of the meat, then you know you're getting close or you're done. Um, so uh, the bend test works well for me. Some people like to slide a toothpick in, um, try to gauge the tenderness. The temperature, if you want to try with a thin probe, should be in the 190 to 205 range. Um, a lot of people think 203 is a magic number. Um, it, it, and then, you know, another trick is, you cut off a bone from the end, and when nobody's watching, you eat it. Yep. See if you taste like it's done. <laughs> That's like the guy on the new Pepsi commercial. He's standing out there, and he's looking at his ribs on the grill, and he's, he, he's eating a rib. He pulls one off. He's eating it. He's drinking a Pepsi, and then his wife goes, you hear her go, hey, honey, are those ribs done? He goes, nope. <laughs> I thought that was that was classic. I haven't seen that commercial yet. Yeah, that was no, classic. Now, you, you just want to be careful because the ends tend to cook faster. They're thinner. But uh, um, that, that's your rule of thumb. Three to four hours for baby backs on at 225, five to six hours for spares. 
Uh, use your bounce test. I do have an article on all the different techniques, and you can try them on AmazingRibs.com. Uh, I think the article's titled, Are They Ready Yet? or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's one from one of our listeners up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. He says, I've had trouble in the past removing the membranes from ribs. I've heard both. Oh, don't you, we all. Yeah, I've heard both you and JT say you can score it along the bones on the backside. But I got criticized for that nicely by a dinner <laughs> guest not long ago for not doing it. Is that a uh, is that a bad thing? Well, the the membrane on the back it's technically called the pleura, yep. and that's the membrane that holds in the lungs, and um, it can get either very tough and leathery, depending on how you cook the ribs, or it can be rubbery. Um, and, uh, in general, it's a good idea to remove it. Um, one of the reasons you remove it is because the texture can be funny because it's rubbery or leathery. Um, it, it really doesn't prevent, uh, smoke flavor from getting in or affect the cooking, but there's also almost always, um, a pretty good layer of fat underneath. And if you get them off, a lot of that fat will melt off and it won't be quite as fatty. Um, it's tricky to get them off, and we have a video of this on AmazingRibs.com, but I start with a butter knife, and I go to the small bone at the end, or the first or the second bone end, and I slide the butter knife between the membrane and the bone, and I kind of wiggle it and twist it until that membrane starts to come loose. And now you can, you can, you know, get an air gap in there. Once that happens, you can get your fingers under there and start to loosen the end. And then I grab it with a paper towel because it's slippery and you can't really grip it with your hands. Grab it with a paper towel and gently pull. And if you're lucky, um, and most of the time you can be lucky, you'll get the entire membrane off with one gentle pull. Often it will start to tear, and you'll have to come back and pull the second half off. But you can usually get it off that way. If you can't, then getting a sharp blade and just scoring the uh, membrane so that the fat will drain is an alternative method. But the real hazard there is your guests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people who, people who are rib savvy. Um, you know, barbecue people are just as bad as wine snobs. Oh yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> um, they'll sit there and uh, you should have removed the membrane and they'll do it in front of your spouse and your kids. And right. it's like, you know, it's, a, you know, why is it when we go out to the grill, all the guys at the party hang around the grill and tell you, I think you ought to turn that steak now. Yeah. Oh, you think you're cooking too hot now? Um, <laughs> what is it about this? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've taken to putting an arm guard on the, <laughs> on the ramp of the deck. So when I'm up on the deck cooking, nobody can get close to me. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's made my life surprisingly more simple. Uh, yeah. we've got, uh, about, uh, two and a half minutes here. So, um, <clears throat> this is one that kind of ties in with an earlier question. Do burnt ends have to be from a brisket or a pork belly? Uh, I actually saw Adam McKenzie was on the show last week or the week before in his book um, called Weeknight Smoking Tips. He's, it's, he's a Traeger guy and all that. Uh, he made some, some burnt ends out of a chuck roast. 
which I thought was kind of interesting the way he did that. Anyway, I'm going to let you answer that. Well, traditionally, as I said earlier, the burnt ends are traditionally were the edges that were burned and therefore overcooked. And they were just uh, Calvin Trillin writes about this in reference to Arthur Bryant's restaurant in Kansas City. Um, and, uh, by the way, Arthur Bryant is getting in, into the hall of fame this fall alongside of me. I, what an honor that oh, is. Oh yeah. Um, but Calvin talked about the Burnett cause they used to give them away for free. Um, but now they've become a thing. The key I think is, is you want to use a fatty piece of meat. Um, it's because they become quite unctuous. That's why, I mean, they were originally the, from brisket and then they became just the, the, um, the point cut the point muscle from the brisket. We're going to take a break um, and be back with Meathead here on Barbecue Nation on the G Radio Networks right after this. Please stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Uh, I'm JT, and today we're talking with Meathead. And before we jump into some more um, listener questions, uh, the Amazing Ribs Meetup in Memphis is moved till next March, and you can go to the AmazingRibs.com website. There's an icon there, and they will take care of it if for some reason the dates conflict for you or whatever. Or if you didn't sign up and now you can, that's where you go to do it, as AmazingRibs.com. Did I get that right for you, boss? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. That should be a fun weekend, March 18th through 20. Um, we have room for 400 people and over 300 tickets are sold already. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it's going to be a weekend of, uh, great food and, uh, great company and, uh, some really good parties. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, and I'm trying to get the backyard cook. This is not a trade event. No, no, no. I'm trying to actually see if I can get my schedule turned around so I can uh-huh. join, join you on that one. Um, Meathead will stick around for after hours today, too, just in case you wanted to know. Okay, back to our listener questions here. Uh, this is from Ron here in Portland. I just got a new Green Mountain smoker for our anniversary. What is the best way to season it? And is there a huge difference in the pellets that I should use? Aha. Um, okay, two good questions. Um, this whole business of seasoning as a smoker is, um, uh, a bit odd. Um, you, when you get a new smoker or a grill, you do want to fire it up to a high temperature and burn off any foreign matter that may be in there. So there might be, oh, some fine metal shavings floating around, some pieces of cardboard from the packaging or anything like that, um, stuff that might be stuck to the grates, you know, some stick them. You want to burn it all off. Um, and you know, it will put a light layer of carbon on the inside of the, uh, hood and the, uh, body of the machine. Uh, but you don't want to build up a thick layer of grease. Um, and that's what a lot of people think that seasoning is, is that it takes years of cooking with a machine to get it a thick layer. No, 
No, grease tastes bad. You don't want smoke from grease. You wouldn't eat in a restaurant that had a grill that was covered in grease. Um, the flavor from grease smoke is pungent. It's awful. Yep. You want smoke from wood. So you don't need to do much to season a new grill. Just fire it up, burn off any farm materials in there, get a sense for what the temperatures are, test it against another thermometer, um, and uh, you're ready to go. Um, You'd make yeah. Gordon Ramsay flip his wig if there's too much grease. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, um, the different kinds of pellets. There are a number of pellet manufacturers out there, um, and uh, it is my understanding, although I have not encountered this, that there are some minor differences in the thickness or the diameter of the pellets. But in general, they should be interchangeable. Um, you probably want to start with whatever brand Green Mountain is recommending, um, probably their own brand. Sure. Um, but then you can go out and try other brands. Um, uh, I, I have standardized. Um, I'm one supplier uh, because I'm a control freak, like we are talking about charcoal before. I, You know, when you're cooking, you can experiment, but you really want to change one variable at a time. So, um, you know, you don't want to change the temperature you're cooking and the types of pellets you're using and uh, the amount of salt in one cook because you're not going to be able to tell the impact of one thing only. Sure. So standardize on your technique. I use pellets from Barbecuers Delight. It's a company in Arkansas, um, and I've been using them for years. Um, and um, you, most pellets, by the way, you should know, no matter what is on the label, they're about 50% oak. Um, they're not 100% cherry or 100% uh chestnut or whatever they say on the label. Um, they use oak as a base because it's a good, solid pellet. It helps hold the pellet together. Um, there's no binders or glues in them. Um, so, some companies, I think Traeger, uses some sorts of oils to flavor their pellets. Um, uh, but uh, And actually, they have. I think they were sued over this. Um, but, um, uh, you know, Fiddle around. I have never noticed a significant difference between the cherry pellets and the apple pellets and the oak pellets. I've standardized on Barbecuers Delight apple. That's it. Um, it's a good flavor, I, and I'm standardized on it. I don't mess around with it. Um, you know, when you're when you're when you're grilling or smoking, you're combining flavors. There's the flavor of the meat. There's the flavor of the rub. There's the, there's the, uh, the salt. Uh, there's the smoke. There's the impact of the energy from the heat. Um, and then there's sauce. And so you're, bu you're, you're building an, a, a flavor profile. Think of it like an orchestra. Um, you don't want the tubas to drown out the violins. <laughs> um, so balance everything out. And um, for me... Uh, I just standard, and I, I just happen to mention uh, this one company, but it could be any other company. You could go with uh, um, Cherry, whatever. Um, but try standardizing until you get everything else under control, until that brisket comes out every time exactly what you want. And now you say, okay, 
let's change the pellets and see what happens. Sure. The one thing that I've noticed is the one thing that I've noticed is um, when I say you're harsher woods, to me, mesquite and hickory are, mm, yes. are harsher. Mesquite and hickory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You will know. I, sh- I should have said that. I'm sorry. No, I, no. I, yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Um, they are. Mesquite and hickory tend to be stronger flavor. And I should have mentioned that. And you can, and you can notice them. Um, and, and these, the, the different pellets do have a fragrance. I have noticed that I can smell the difference between, you know, hickory and apple or something, but, um, I rarely can taste the difference. And I've got a pretty good palate. I won a, a wine tasting champion. Years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm the, I was the Chicago wine tasting champion in 1975. It's been a while. My palate's not as good as it used to be, but, uh, um, the, uh, the flavor is, is, is not real noticeable when you combine it with all the other variables. That's true. And I know that what you were saying is about, um, the oils that, that, uh, that was a big deal around here. Cause this is where Traeger originated. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, that's a big deal. There's another company here that does not use, um, oils and they do a lot of private label manufacturing because they have, they have three or four pellet mills across the country. They're big, they're big operations. They're really good people, but they refuse to use any oils or glues. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're, it's all pressure packed type thing. Um, and now I think that's much better, much safer and handier. Anyway, Meathead is going to stick around for after hours and, uh, Meathead, thank you as always. It's always a pleasure. Oh, it's always fun. These were good questions. Let's do it again. Hey, re- listeners out there, send them your questions. We, they will, and I will. And remember our motto here, turn it, don't burn it. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.